What is up, Mets fans? Back here for episode number 24 of the Mets Stuff Podcast. I'm your co-host, Giraffe Neck Mark. Mark Luino here with James Shiano. Jeter had no range. Talking New York Mets baseball, as we always do after every single series. The Mets just finished up a fantastic four-game series against the Chicago Cubs. Three wins, one loss, and even that loss really didn't bother me. I'm sure it didn't bother James. If, if you're a Mets fan bothered by this one, I, I feel like that's on you at this point because everything with this team is pointing upwards. Everything's trending upwards, and this team's only going to get healthier, better, playing better baseball, beating better teams. It's looking really good for the New York Mets. Now, before we do get going into all the stuff and all the details, you know I got to give a plug here. So make sure if you're listening to us, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, follow us there. Make sure you watch us on YouTube as well, Messed Up Podcast. We've been uploading all the episodes to YouTube. Going to drop some other videos on there as well. If you're following us on Twitter and Instagram, Messed Up. Very simple. We keep it nice and easy over there. Everything's been growing. We've been having a great time. James, how are we feeling after the Chicago Cubs series? First, immediate thoughts. What are we thinking? I feel great. The Mets just took two series from heading into this past calendar week, two of the better teams in National League. And we handled them pretty easily, both Padres and the Cubs. I feel very good. Yeah, these we were told the Mets can't be good teams. We were told no. the Mets play in the NL East, so their record doesn't matter because yeah. that division's terrible. But you look at the last few series the Mets have had, and we're beating teams that are technically above 500 and are good. I mean, I know the Padres are struggling, but part of the reason they're struggling is because of us. It's because they ran into a good New York Mets team, and this Cubs team was hot. They just came off of a sweep against the Cardinals the previous weekend. Yeah. And what do you know? The Mets stopped them. Mm -hmm. We did stop them. And again, none of these games really felt like 100% comfortable the whole way. Like these two, the Mets and the Cubs were pretty well matched. Like there were a lot of close games, a lot of very important plays that happened, some timely hitting, some very good defense on both sides, including the Cubs tonight, who did play a pretty clean baseball game. But a lot of the games could have gone every way. And a lot of these games that can go every way, the Mets seem to take them, which is a very good sign for a team. Dude, that's something that the Mets just haven't done in a very, very long time is win the close games. Mm -hmm. Win the games that we shouldn't even sometimes. Games that we think are like typical Mets losses. I mean, we talked about the Padres one last time with Diaz coming in for that four-out save. We had some scenarios where Eric Sogard in one of the games almost beat us. He's a yeah. he's a typical Met killer, mm -hmm. a guy who does nothing all season against anyone, but he shows up against the New York Mets and we get the job done. Of course, we'll get more detail into that, but let's start off with game four. That's yep. the most recent one here. We did it last week. You guys seem to really enjoy it because it's one of our best episodes that we've had, so thank you guys. You got us up to number 48 on the Apple podcast rankings for baseball. That's cool for two reasons. One, top 50 podcasts. We've been doing 23 episodes. And two, 48, Jacob DeGrom, best pitcher in baseball, best podcast in baseball. I think that's how it works. That's exactly how it works. That's good. exactly how it works. It's clean math. Yes, clean math. Don't look it up. Don't check any numbers or anything like that. But hey, game four. Let's talk about it. It's the most recent one that happened. And there's not a whole lot to talk about. The Mets just simply got beat. That's going to happen sometimes, especially when the Cubs had, did play just a straight-up good game of baseball. But Stroman on the mound, a little shaky start, but he settled in. No, he did settle in. He made literally one mistake the entire game. It just happened to come to Javier Baez in the first inning with two strikes, too. Yeah, two, he, he made him look foolish on the first two pitches out of the zone. And as we know with Javier Baez, who has like a 38% K rate and like a 2% walk rate, and he chases. He has one of the highest chase rates, I think, in the league as well. Just don't throw him a strike. He refuses to walk, even though I think he got one or two walks a series, which is not Javi Baez-like. But this is a guy who is trying to hit a home run every single time he steps up to the plate. And if he doesn't, he doesn't care. He will go down swinging. That's Javi Baez's game. Unfortunately, we threw him a strike with two strikes. 
Yeah, absolutely. Stroman just hung him a slider. Like, I think he was intending to throw a pitch on the outside, a pitch that cut away from him. And it worked the rest of the night. Stroman was getting tons of whiffs on his off-speed pitches, which I'll get into in a second. But sometimes you just get beat. Javi had a couple of big home runs this series. Yeah, I mean, when he connects with the baseball, he's going to hit it hard. He takes what I like to call a war hack, which is just simply swinging as physically hard as he can. This Cubs team takes some hard hacks, like Wilson Contreras, too. Jock. Jock takes some hacks. I mean, like, Rizzo even crushed a couple balls this series. Wisdom. Yeah, like, they just have dudes who go up there and go, I'm going to swing as hard as I can. Now, some of these guys, like Anthony Rizzo, shorten up with two strikes. Javi Baez is not one of them. No, Javi Baez doesn't know what shortening up means. That's not in his vocabulary. We also found out tonight while watching the game, I don't know if the listeners at home are aware of this, but Javier Baez has a tattoo of the Major League Baseball logo on the back of his neck. We were so shocked we had to look it up because Mark could not believe that that's actually what the tattoo was. Well, it's crazy because like when you wear a jersey or you have one, that's basically where the MLB logo on the jersey goes on your back. It's like right on like your your spine, on your neck. To have a tattoo there is bizarre, but apparently he's not the only guy either. Where You told me Wander Franco has yeah, one too. No, on the side of his neck. Yeah, I guess this is a thing that people are doing now. MLB logo tattooed. He hasn't even made the show yet. Yeah, cool. I, I don't know. That's a weird tattoo. But I think it's the opposite of cool. I don't know why they're supporting the league. Like, how would the players union feel about that? Yeah, I mean, we know what's been going on with all these rules that LMB's just been dropping out of nowhere. I'm shocked that you would put the the logo of the bad guys on your <laughs> on your back. It's really weird. It's not like it's cool like in the NBA where it's like Jerry West, like a node to the legend. Like that's not even a person. No, that's, that's just an, a, that's an unmarked man. They, they people are like make a Ken Griffey now. Like that'd be cool. I'd yeah. be cool with that. But whatever. Would you get that tattoo? No, still wouldn't get that tattoo. I'm not a tattoo guy. I'm 150 pounds soaking wet. Tattoos aren't looking good on this body. All right, now that we've talked about your body enough, let's go back to the game. Back to Marcus Stroman here. It was a very good game for Stroman. He's been getting at least six innings. I think his last three starts, again, whiffs, strikeouts. But something that was like not that cool tonight was the Cubs were lacing the ball. Like That happened. They put nine balls in play of at least 100 miles an hour. Not that much fun. And he was still getting his normal ground balls. He had eight ground balls today versus eight fly balls and line drives, which is like basically his season average 55% because that's 50%. But most of those balls at 100 miles an hour were in the air and not on the ground. So you're leaving yourself an opportunity to be hit hard as Stroman was. Luckily tonight they found the gloves. But as Stroman does when he gives up a lot of hard contact, he got tons of whiffs. Stroman, we see him do this multiple times this year where he can kind of oscillate between being a soft contact ground ball pitcher and being a whiff, I guess I don't even want to call him like a fly ball pitcher, a hard contact pitcher. Yeah, just a guy who's looking to get swing and misses, trying to get strikeouts. Yeah, which he did. Like his splitter had six whiffs on 12 swings, tied for the most times he's used that splitter in his career tonight through 25 times, which is really cool. It was splitting, as I like to say. The slider had four whiffs on seven swings. One of those three swings, again, was a Javier Baez home run. Sometimes you hang one. Sometimes you hang one. It happens. You're playing with fire. You're going to get burned. I wonder, it's also like worth noting that the Cubs, I think the first like four batters only saw eight pitches, which is also crazy Yeah. because they got the home run. Javier Baez saw three pitches in that bat. So the other guys were aggressive early, and I think that's something that you're going to see a lot of teams do a lot more with Stroman, Definitely. especially because he does just pepper the zone. Yeah, Bryant hit that hard single right before on his first or second pitch of the at-bat. I think yeah. Jock also lined out in the first as a second pitch to start the game. Yeah, no, they were aggressive real early. Yeah. And another thing that Stroman did on the other side that I don't really like is he was still just pounding his own with that sinker. Pounding, 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 pounding. He threw more than 50% of the time, which I said it before, I'll say it again. Marcus, I know you're listening. Like that four-seam fastball is a very good pitch. It's such a good pitch. Like you could really get some guys out with it. The Cubs swung at Stroman's sinker 25 times tonight and whiffed only twice. That's that's not a high rate right there. Not that good. And they had 14 foul balls. So maybe they weren't making the hardest contact all of the time, but 
It just wasn't exactly the put-away pitch. And not that it was an issue. No damage was done in that sinker tonight. None. But there were plenty of hard-hit balls in that sinker. And that's, some, that's something, that's a situation where you could run into trouble. Yeah, and you know, like when we go into these deep dives with all the pitchers, like a lot of times, like it's we're giving you the information. It's not necessarily yeah. like trying to say anything's wrong or that no. there's an issue, but it's it's just like food for thought where next time if something happens, like you can think back, oh yeah, against the Cubs, his sinker wasn't getting a lot of swing and misses. That's why we brought it up is because it's just something you look forward to, give you a little more information when you're watching the next start, something to keep an eye out for. Yeah. But really, the story of the night was just that the Mets didn't hit. No, they didn't hit at all. And the Mets have had a problem with Hendricks as long as I can remember. Besides that 2015 playoff game when they got on him, they've never, ever, ever hit Hendricks in the regular season, ever. They actually, I learned tonight, they've never given Kyle Hendricks a loss. And I was convinced in that playoff game he got a loss because I was there, and I was like, they ran him out of the game. But I guess they didn't give him the loss. Uh, Mets only had three hard-hit balls the entire game off of Hendricks. They had five total, like... Just very uncompetitive at bats. A lot of balls on the ground. A lot of lazy fly balls. Just not not much really there. That's kind of what Kyle Hendricks does. He lulls you to sleep. He throws 88 miles an hour. He's got the lowest average fastball velo, I think, in the league that they said for a starting pitcher. He doesn't have that blow away stuff, but he just gets the job done unless he's facing the Atlanta Braves. Yeah, that's another thing I told you that you didn't believe me tonight. I didn't believe you at all. In two starts against the Braves this year, Kyle Hendricks has given up 14 earned runs. Which is crazy. In 14 starts he's made against the rest of the league, he's only given up 23 earned runs. You just can't beat the Braves. Just can't do it. They have his number, which, whatever it is, I wish the Mets had his number. No, but number. luckily for us, we don't have to see Kyle Hendricks the rest of the year until the playoffs. So no. we're done with him. We can move on. This game, the Mets just lost. The Cubs played a very clean game. They got the lead early, and they never relinquished it. They just won 2 nothing. That's simply it. We had those two like mini rallies, the first, second inning. VR hit the double, couldn't bring him around. Billy Bomb to the double, couldn't bring him around, and that was literally it. And it was nice, I think, to note, too, that we saw Trevor May get another uh, yes. outing tonight, and yes. this will lead perfectly into Game 1. Game 1, he didn't have it. The last two games of the series, though, Trevor May, it looked like something clicked again, and it's worth talking about as well that Jeremy Hefner, he had an interview during the game, and he was talking about, you know, using the bullpen, working guys, dropped something that I don't know if this is necessarily what was wrong with Trevor May, but it felt like a weird thing to bring up about tipping pitches and then immediately go to Trevor May's struggles. So to me, I don't have any information that says that Trevor May has been tipping pitches. And as James has said in previous episodes, his command just hasn't been good. He's been missing spots. But if you're missing spots, leaving the ball in the zone more, and you are tipping your pitches, that could be one of the reasons why Trevor May has been giving up these nukes like he has recently. But the last two appearances have been great. So I think that we can turn the page there now go to game one, which was a nice win for the Mets. Game one was a great win for the Mets. I was in attendance on Monday night, and I wasn't the most confident heading to the ballpark on Monday. Just Mondays aren't that great in general, and David Peterson had not been that good in general. The Cubs had been pretty good coming off a sweep, like we said. This is kind of fun to time travel like this. It is, right? I like starting with the most recent game and then jumping back. Yeah, Yeah. and and especially with the Cubs, too. Destroy left-handed pitching. Destroy it. Even Rizzo this year. I know in the last episode we talked about, like, against lefties, not as good. This year, though, he's been outstanding against lefties. It was kind of a weird thing that the Cubs benched Baez on Monday night. Coming into a game so hot with a soft-tossing lefty on the mound, who actually, Dave Pearson was not soft-tossing on Monday at all. Through the hardest pitch of his career at 96.2 miles an hour. But generally, he's more of a soft-tosser. He's not throwing with the velocity that many of the other best pitchers in the league use. It was kind of weird they would have taken their foot off the gas pedal like that. David Ross made a lot of really questionable decisions with the lineup these games. Like, the DeGrom game, he just threw out an absolute, like, a, or 
lame duck of a lineup. Like everybody felt like they were sitting. I know Bryant got hit in the hand early in the season, so they were re- or early in the series, so they rested him a bit. Tuesday but got hit in the hand. yeah, but like they were throwing out some guy. Jose Lobatone played too much. If yeah. he touches the field, he's playing too much. I couldn't believe he's still in the league. I didn't know that Jose Lobatone was had a pulse still. I thought Jose Lobatone dead. I thought Jose Lobatone was dead. <laughs> I thought <laughs> that this guy was just gone. He was back in wherever like he was from and just didn't exist in Major League Baseball. He's seemingly on the Chicago Cubs. His last game he played was with the Mets. I didn't even know that. That's that's <laughs> the craziest thing. So the last time he played was with the Mets. <laughs> we saw a lot of Sergio Alcantara. Alcantara? Yeah, Alcantara. Uh, Alcantara, Alcantara. I'm not sure what the... So way too much of him this series. Yeah, and he didn't do much. No, nothing. But again, dive into game one for a second. Because Peterson was a story on Monday night. Six innings pitch, one hit, no earned runs. Like, what more can you ask for out of the guy? Like, that's, as I've said before, a handsome box score. But I think it is important to know that that does not tell the whole story. Like, this isn't like David Peterson's fixed. David Peterson's good. Like, David Peterson's back on the upswing again. 100% not. Cups had seven hard-hit balls in just those six innings. Five of them were over 100 miles an hour. He only had eight whiffs in the whole game. And just, like, as a frame of reference, let me compare that to. Diaz had five in the ninth inning alone on Monday night. Take that for what you will. It just That's not David Peterson's game. He went back to the sinker, which I predicted last episode. Yep. Kind of cool. He just, like, letting the Cubs hit it and letting the Mets make good plays. And we made good plays. Defense was A-plus on Monday night. We were shifting all over the place, everywhere we had to be. That's great. And over half of the balls in play the Cubs hit were ground balls. So that's the recipe for success for Peterson. Simplify the game. Get some innings. Let your defense make plays behind you. Don't try to strike out the world. Don't try to be the best pitcher in the league. And you can be successful. And luckily for us, the Mets' bats were alive too. We got some hitting from McCann and Pilar, which mm-hmm. Pilar had a fantastic series. Got started in game one. Yeah. We also saw Dom go yard. We jinxed him, which is great. Big I'm happy jinx. to jinx Dom. Yeah. We talked about his struggles last episode and talked about how maybe it's time to move him down the lineup. He had a better series, but I think we're still in the boat of like he's fake fixed. Almost, yeah. He's almost the Peterson of the offense where like, yes... The numbers at a, you know, when you don't go too deep into them, he's playing well. Mm-hmm. But if you look deeper into the numbers, you go, there's still, he, he's not there yet. He's not back to where we need him to be. But it's good to at least see something going forward. A little life out of Dom's bat. It was nice to see that he swung at three of the four pitches he saw in the heart. As I brought up the last few episodes, again, the heart is like the dead center of the plate. Like that very central square in the middle of the plate. But it was funny that, like, ironically, as we were talking about last episode, he swung at another OO pitch in the shadow, as I've been talking about. Again, the shadow is two inches into the plate and two inches to the outside of the plate. The pitches that could be strikes and could be balls, not the types of pitches you want to be swinging at on OO count. But he got a single off one. So, again, like, he's getting results. The process isn't that great. He's been hitting the ball hard, but he's also been hitting it hard while he's been struggling. Just, I just hope he. Hope he works out of this. Yeah, hope he works out of it because we do need Dom. This this offense is significantly better when Dom's just even oh, just yeah. even there existing, which we haven't had in a lot of games. So him putting the ball in play, hitting it hard somewhere, it, it adds that lineup. It gives even more depth than we already have, which is really nice. We can use it. We want to be successful. We need Dom Smith to be a part of it for sure. Uh, we wanted to talk about Trevor May, but we kind of went over it already. Yeah. We thought it's funny in the notes. Game one, Trevor May is broken. Yeah. Game three and four, it's like, oh, he's back. Like, yeah. he's fine. There's there's no issues here. And we've been saying this for weeks. Like, this is just the nature of relievers. Like, there's ebbs and flows. It looks so much worse because you're only pitching three-ish innings a week. So giving up a couple of hits will make your stats go way up. Getting a bunch of strikeouts will make your, the ratios go way down. This is just going to happen. It's going to happen. 
You're going to work into things. You're going to work out of them. And Trevor Ways May has now worked into something and back out of it, which is fun. Yeah, they'll be volatile, volatile all year. One guy who hasn't been volatile, though, Edwin Diaz. He is so damn good. So damn good. The he trumpets, is baby. so good. I mean, if you're a Mets fan, I believe in him. I'm sold. I'm in on Edwin Diaz. 100%. I went, I refused to watch him last year. James was my roommate. I would go into my room. I'd close the door and say, tell me when the game's over. I didn't want to see it. You could go through my tweets. You could probably find hundreds of them of me being like, oh, here he comes again. I'm sold. He's just so lights out. He's cash money. I mean, like this guy comes in and I go, oh, the Mets won. Nice. It's even my dad was similar to you and I was with him at the game on Monday night. And he's like, I can't believe how much this has changed. When we were at the game on Tuesday, I tweeted. I didn't put in the notes, but I just remembered that there was a little kid next to us. He was like, why isn't Edwin warming up? I'm yeah, like, um, I know, little kid. I wonder the same thing. Imagine 2019, even the, a little bit in 2020, saying, why isn't Edwin Diaz in the game? That's not a sentence that has come out of many Mets fans' mouths. No, and now it's I can't wait to get him in the game. I love having him in the game. I feel such a sense of security when Edwin Diaz on the mound. I have never ever felt a sense of security in my entire life for a Mets closer, excluding Lugo, but he was never actually the closer. Billy Wagner's probably the closest one, but we were young. We were 10. Yes, yeah, but he even like wasn't perfect with the Mets. Like his best years were with the Astros and the Phillies. Of course, yeah, yeah. but like he had some injuries. Yeah, like 2007. Yeah, I mean, you can go through the history of Mets relievers, which we won't cuz it's depressing, but Edwin Diaz is one of the best that we've had. That'll be a nice off-season episode. Maybe a strike episode. Yeah, strike episode for uh 2022. My god, I don't even want to think about that. Game 2 though. Game two, yeah. another Mets win. Great game. Me and James were at the game for mm-hmm. our boy Ernesto Avaledo's birthday. Yeah. yeah, I'm dropping the full name, dropping yeah. the government name out there. And but fun fact about Ernesto, he is the biggest Jonathan VR fan in the world. He Huge. actually got, he wanted the Jonathan VR jersey so bad for his birthday that he went to the Mets store and got a VR jersey customized because they, weren't, they didn't have it in stock. Yeah, he, so if you guys want to tweet at him anytime Jonathan VR does something well, because he really does enjoy watching Jonathan VR play baseball. He was a big Marlins fan. He got to see him play a little bit last year. Just, he always talks about the kind of play that he has and big fan of his. You can follow him on Twitter. You can send him tweets at subtape underscore he will appreciate it mm-hmm. he will it'll make his day so if you want to make one of our friends day and just extend the podcast family here anytime jonathan vr does something well at subtape underscore let him know again at subtape underscore let him know but jonathan vr had a great game on tuesday night above he, it all he did he did jonathan <laughs> on base VR. three times scored the game winning run he has evolved into a really good player so much so that the mets had you know been talking about mcneil possibly coming back McNeil's going to go to the outfield, possibly, apparently, yeah. because Jonathan VR deserves to stay in the lineup. His OPS is hovering around that 750 to 800 range, which is a plus offensive player this year. He's playing good enough defense where he's not making... He has, like, a lot yeah, more range. Well, well, he has a lot more range than, like, J.D. Davis. He made His errors... Oh, compared to J.D. Davis. Yeah, yeah. Great defense. Yeah, his, er- his errors come on, like, you know, a little brain fart kind of stuff. But, like, he gets to balls... You don't think he's incompetent at third base. You can fool me that he's a third baseman. Yeah, it's fine. He also has a 10.5% walk rate. That will always play at the top of the batting order. Always. Like unheard of from Jonathan VR. The last time he had a walk rate in that ratio, I think he was an all-star back with like either the Astros or the Brewers. One of those weird seasons where he was good. No, 2016 is the last time he had double-digit walk rate. With the Brewers, right? Yes. You know, he's always hovered in that like eight-ish range, but like even that 3% bump, that will make a big difference in games. And it made a big difference on Tuesday night because he continued to get on base and it's just... You you see how it affects the opposing team when a guy like VR is on base. People are thinking about him. Even on on Wednesday, um, Contreras hit him in the ear. Yeah, with that gross ass uh, caught steal. Uh, he didn't caught stealing that stolen base. 
And he was huge getting on base too, as you just said, because Pete was able to drive him in for the go-ahead run with that sack fly. Yes. So, like, he is making things happen. He's getting his start for us at the top of the lineup. Of course, when Nimmo comes back, that's his spot. Mm -hmm. But, hey, we have Jonathan VR on this team, and he has been fantastic. But Nimmo coming back is now more so an if than a when, because he he jammed a finger, and now it's been two months. And has, like, nerve damage, which is terrifying. Whatever. Who cares? The real story on Tuesday night, we've gone past it, is our boy, the day man. Ah! Taiwan Walker, Slay the Nightman, dominated on Tuesday night at City Field. 12 strikeouts, career high for, I will say this, the best free agent signing of this past offseason. Yeah, it really comes down to him or like Marcus Simeon. I think those yeah, are the two Simeon's guys that you got to have good. at the top of the line. But here's why Taiwan might, or Taiwan might be better. It's because the Mets get him for a couple years and he is dirt cheap. He is basically free. $10 million. That's why we pay James McCann. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Like, like, Taiwan <laughs> is our bulldog. He's our day man. And he just shoved again. This dude, he the first inning was a little rough. Yes. He didn't necessarily have it at the start. And, and they and always you, are. Yeah, we talked about that. Like, why does he always start off a little bit rough? Maybe he needs to warm up a little bit more. I don't know. But he figures it out. And I mean, 12 strikeouts. You don't just find your walk your way into 12 strikeouts. No. That's a good performance. Rojas actually mentioned why this start, at least, he could have been struggling at first. Taiwan was actually dealing with a stomach bug leading up to this start. And not that he was in question as to whether he was going to pitch, but they were a little nervous about like how how long he could go, how effective he would be. And Jock hit a 108-mile-an-hour single, like the second or third pitch of the game. Then Taiwan immediately hit Chris Bryant on the hand, which turned out to be good. Knocked not not Chris Bryant out of two games. You can't, you can't say that's a bad thing. And then he just got out of trouble like he always does. And then it was just like crispy the rest of the way. Smooth sailing. He was just dotting everybody up like we were talking about we love the umpires uh strike three looking call getting the hips turn those hips blue like taiwan was getting those hips turning all night he was really good and taiwan had a career high for called third strikes which plays into more like he was just he was dominating these cubs hitters they had no shot yeah the only other mistake after like just besides like singles was another javier Baez two run home run to which again stop throwing javi Baez strikes if you are a major league team you should literally spike Four pitches and see if he swings. He probably will swing at at least one, at least. And oh, if Javi Baez walks, he walks. Like it's either going to be a home run or a strikeout at this point. Absolutely. Throw balls. Absolutely. And then just to dive into Taiwan a little bit to get into his outing because it was so good. It was two seam city for our boy. I've been calling this pitch a sinker for most of the year because that's how it's listed on Savant and Fangraphs, but. Everyone in Mets world has been calling this pitch a two-seamer, and the way it was moving, just sliding around the strike zone Tuesday night, that is definitely a two-seamer. He's got like that Bartolo two-seamer going on where it looks like a wiffle ball, except he's throwing 93-94 as opposed to Bartolo's like 82. Yeah. One of his two-seamers had 21 inches of horizontal movement. That's insane. The home plate is 17 inches wide, so he's literally moving basically from the other batter's box into the inside corner or the outside corner. Look at this guy. Knows the home plate dimensions. Definitely didn't just look it up, press pause, the magic of editing. That never happens. No, never. But again, this is just like, that's some old school two-seamer action. It was also pretty cool that uh, he was using it very differently to righties and lefties versus lefties. He was keeping it very high and versus righties, he was keeping it very low. I don't know if that's plan of attack. I don't know if that helps with the way it's moving, but I thought it was interesting that he had a game plan for both sides of the plate. But I digress. Back to the movement of that pitch. Freaking crazy. Average 17 inches of break. High was 21, average 17. That is more than Familia sinker moves. And Familia has just like one of the nastiest pitches in baseball with that sinker. It moves so much. Everyone knows that. And then again, that two-seamer wound up with seven whiffs on 24 swings, which is above average for a two-seamer. But more so than that, 
14 called strikes. It's nuts. Crazy. The Cubs weren't even prepared for it. They were just whipping and winding all over the place. No one knew it was coming. They couldn't hit it. They didn't want to hit it. They were scared to hit it. Scared to swing. Chicago Cubs. He was able to, like, make it look like it was on the outside corner and go to the inside to a righty or the uh, vice versa for a lefty. That's almost impossible to hit if you're yeah. dotting it up, which it seemed like he was that night because 12 strikeouts. It's pretty good. Absolutely. And more so helping with those strikeouts with the fact that he was sprinkling in his four-seamer and his slider very, very, very effectively. Again, 52% of those pitches were two-seamers. 21% were four-seamers. Four Jesus. <laughs> four-seamers. He had three whiffs on six swings with six called strikes. The slider, 18% usage. Four whiffs on seven swings with two called strikes. All those called strikes makes me think that the Cubs had no clue what was coming at them on Tuesday night. No, they looked fooled at the plate. Literally, Javi Baez and Jock yeah. Peterson, those were the two good swings all night. Yeah. I think I feel like Contreras had a couple too, but that's unfounded. I'm not positive. That's he right. also just like swings so hard, so like he might make it look better because he goes up there and actually takes the hardest swing on planet Earth. Definitely. And there were still like a healthy amount of hard hit balls. Like, what's going to happen? He threw mostly fastballs in total, 73% fastballs, almost three quarters. So guys are going to find a way to square that up. But now the Mets are just one of the best defensive teams in baseball. So, like, who really cares? As We're long there. As it's not going over the fence. We got you covered. What is that UPS, FedEx? We got you covered. Whatever it is, that's the, Mets, that's the Mets defense right now. No they free are. ads, but if either of those guys want to sponsor us, we're here. Yeah, but literally everywhere. And luckily for us, the offense did enough. Yes. The offense did enough because that would have been a shame to spoil that Taiwan outing. And we tried to a little mm -hmm. bit. But Pete stepped up big time, three RBIs, two of which came while I was online for food yeah. again, uh -huh. which you then banished me I back to the top. You to go to the concession. Go back to the concession stands because <laughs> as soon as I came back, I think an out immediately happened. Yeah. But We're not superstitious on this podcast but we are a little stitious i was about to say you better drop we are a little stitious <laughs> what do you think i am <laughs> i don't know pete's so good he got that big sack fly that we said that ernie was really happy about to get vr to score mm -hmm. it was a good game and then we got to go to lugo for two it was pretty cool that taiwan was able to just hand the ball to lugo and then finish it off and it wasn't clean it wasn't clean. It, I mean, like, the first inning was, The eighth right? inning was so clean. Yeah. Clean as a whistle. Mr. Clean. Nine saw, baby. Ninth inning got a little dicey. Very dicey. And it was funny because in the bottom of the eighth inning, it flashed on the board that Trevor May is warming up in the bullpen. This is before Trevor May was fixed. Yes. He was fixed on Wednesday. This is Tuesday. This is after he got shelled. We were freaking out. We're like, freaking this, out. he can't be the guy. No. Not tonight. Like, we, we're, we're going to blow this one. Anybody we can't. Else. So, luckily, he didn't come in for us. Lugo no. stayed in. And it got like, he, he was good, but he wasn't. And Contreras singled, roped the ball. Mm -hmm. They brought in Marisnik to run, which is the smart move, especially yeah. with the catcher on the bench. You're trying to get keep this game going. You have to make that move. And then Sogard pinch hit for Dan Winkler. Eric Sogard, who is a lifetime terrible hitter. Ugh. And he's just makes some bad decisions. Not part of the point here. Tons. Um, <laughs> Eric Sogard comes up to the plate. Puts together a good at bat and ropes one to right center field, and we go, "Oh my god, it's happening! It's this is the game." I honestly wasn't even like that. It was like this was one of the most in the moment baseball plays that I've ever witnessed live. Between like the seats we had in the mezzanine, like right on the third base line, the angle the ball was hit, we were staring right at it. Marisnik was rounding the bases, coming towards us. Like this all happened in a flash. 
and we got him. I couldn't believe they sent him. Shout out to Willie Harris, yeah. who has been... That's who the third base coach is? Willie Harris is the Cubs' third base coach. Shout out to him, who is known for his fantastic, spectacular home run robbing catches. Had a couple for the Mets. Did a couple against the Mets as mm-hmm. a player of the Nationals. I remember him being a big thorn in the Mets' side. Yeah, he was. He Not a particularly great player, no. but he, just like Eric Sogard, would cause issues. But luckily, Pilar cut the ball off beautifully in right center. Really should have limited to second and third with one out. But again, terrible job by Gary DeSarcina part two over there with Willie Harris. But cut it off well, and Guillaume made a sick, sick relay throw. Spin, turn. His hands are so lightning quick. You've seen it on double plays, but it really came in here with the relay throw. Right on the money to James McCann, who just went right in front of the plate, made the tag, got Marisnik at the plate, and that was the ball game. This is why Luis Guillorme is our guy. Luis Guillorme is not flashy. He's never been a prospect list. ESPN's never going to talk about him. MLB Network's rarely going to talk about him besides when he grabs a bat or has thin air. 24 pitch at bat. Yeah, like he does like weird, wacky shit like that. But more than that, what Guillorme is is fundamentally sound. He does all of the little things right. And this was a play where all the little things mattered. Give Pilar credit too. Give McCann credit too for picking that ball on one hop and getting the tag down, even though he had about four steps to do it. It was just a clean play, and that's how you win close games. And I think it's really worth noting, too, that in a ninth inning in this game, even with our guys, that's probably going to be the defensive like alignment, is you're going to have Pilar in center field, because Nimmo moved to left, get Dom out of the game. Mm-hmm. Pilar in center. Guillaume most likely will be playing Setic in base, especially with McNeil possibly being in the outfield now, and McCann behind home plate. That just shows you alone the conscious effort that the Mets have had to be a better defensive team. Mm-hmm. If Nimmo and McNeil or who Peraza even are there at second base, we don't make that play. Ramos, a Ra- catcher. Yeah, Ramos, a catcher who dropped like three last year. We don't need to talk about that. The Mets don't make that play without those guys there. Mm-hmm. Putting the guys in the right spot, again, to make the plays, everything is clicking right for them defensively. You got to love, just a smart team. Definitely, and again, there's the depth, the depth, the depth we've been talking about. You can't say enough about it. Nope, loved it. And that was luckily... How we get the win that night. We got one more out. I don't remember what the final out was. I remember it was like a long at bat. Maybe someone else even got on base. Something yeah. else happened. Whatever. Th- that was, was the big play. They I were was sweating. Yeah. I mean, it was a lot of hands on the head. We yeah. stood for I, 10 straight minutes. <laughs> well, I got to go to the bathroom. You almost I had, missed it. Yeah, I had to go to the bathroom at one point because I was like, I, I can't handle this. I don't know how long we're going to take. I, luckily, we were good. Yeah. False alarm. But game three, DeGrom. Much different vibe. Super different vibe because it started off insane yeah. because through three innings, the only three innings that Jacob DeGrom threw, he struck out eight, mm-hmm. had a perfect game. Yep. He, Gary said it on the broadcast, probably had the best three innings to start a game in the history of baseball. Think about it. You strike out eight of the nine batters you face. You're throwing a perfect game. The record for striking out guys in a row is what? Nine by Seaver? I thought it was 11. 9, 10, whatever, whatever the number is. It didn't come from the 1st to the 4th. No. <laughs> no one has ever pitched like Jacob DeGrom did those first three innings. And he got out of the game because of a shoulder soreness. Before we go into the DeGrom injury, which we're going to go into, I saw a crazy stat on Twitter the other day. Jacob DeGrom, I'll have you guess. How many hits do you think Jacob DeGrom's given up in the first inning this year? How many hits? Yeah. Six? One. That's crazy. And... It was the second batter he faced all season, Reese Hoskins, who was thrown out at third base. 
Oh, I remember that. Uh-huh. Yeah, because I hate Reese Hoskins yeah, so who, who much. Doesn't? That rat fuck. Loser. He's another one of the rat fucks of this podcast. Yeah, we have a podcast. couple rat fucks. <laughs> but yeah, Jacob, ah, he's so good, man. He's so good. He's literally not a human. And then, yeah, again, before the thing, he drove in a run too. Yes. He now has, what, six RBIs and has only allowed four earned runs on the season? O- OPS over 800. Otani who? Like, not really, but also Otani who? Yeah. No home runs yet. Once Jake hits the home run, which, but now it seems like Jake might not be swinging anymore. There's like weird conflicting reports today. It kind of feels old Mets. Yeah. The way his injury news has come out today, Thursday, today, yesterday for your listeners at home. It's like very uh, vague, very weird behind the curtain. No, they don't want to let anybody know because he exits the game with shoulder soreness and you go, oh my God. Yeah. His, his elbow hurt last game. His shoulder hurts now. What in the world is going on? He's dealt with the lat. Those are that's like the trifecta of pitching injuries you don't want to hear. Yeah. Shoulder, elbow, lat. Those are that's all it. big issues. The holy Trinity. And then today we see tweets that Jacob DeGrom got examined, no issues, and he was on the field throwing already. Yes. So I don't know what's really going on. I think nobody really knows what's going on besides the guys in that Mets clubhouse. It seems like from the interview with Jeremy Heffner today and everything that no one's particularly worried about Jake. Neither was making jokes about him on Twitter. Yeah, so like no one's particularly worried, but it would be nice to know what's going on because he is arguably the best player in baseball. I'm worried. Yeah, I mean, well, that's I'm what I'm worried. saying. I'm us worried. Mets fans yeah, are worried. I'm very worried. It seems like the Mets themselves aren't, so I guess that should just be a good sign to us of like, hey, it's okay. We don't have to have, you know, our Stockholm Syndrome of the Wilpons where whatever they tell us isn't necessarily true. Well, the Mets injury translations, you know? Yeah. Like there was a couple of years ago where McNeil had a sore hamstring that, that he might take some time on the IL. Translation, we hope he keeps his leg. Yes. Uh, there's been a list of injuries that we've not been told a lot about and they've become a lot worse. But it seems like DeGrom is going to end up being fine so far. Who yeah. knows? I, I just, I don't like even talking about it because it makes me feel so sick. And also the weird thing is it kind of overshadowed this game, which wound up being like a fantastic team victory where all the boys like rallied around the best player being injured and played another very clean, easy, wire-to-wire game where they won handedly. Mets scored runs and Sean Reed fully gets the win. They need to change the win rule so badly in Major League Baseball. The fact that the Grom doesn't get the win there and Sean Reed fully does, we love SRF. He doesn't deserve the win there. There's no. no world where he pitches less than the starting pitcher and should get the win. All of my fellow fantasy baseball managers who lost to Grom last night and didn't get the win, especially in the rotisserie leagues, where those wins are so damn hard to come by, it sucked. That one really hurt. It was like a knife in my side. Yeah, but luckily for us, SRF did come in yeah. and he got the job done. I think the Mets only gave up, what, two or three hits in total on the night. Sean Refoy, I think, gave up one of them. But while he didn't get any strikeouts, two innings, no runs. No runs, but two walks. I think there were two or three hard-hit balls. Like, this was the first time that Reed Foley looked very mortal, and maybe he just wasn't sharp from being in the minor leagues. You don't know how, like, a demotion like that will wear in a guy's mind. Sean Reed Foley, some games, I bet they tell him, like, be prepared to come in. Like, the Peterson games, yeah. the Lucchese games. Like, these are the days where Reed Foley is expecting to pitch. The Grom games, he's probably drinking a beer, his feet were up, like, chewing. He probably had a lot of gum in his mouth. Like, he was chilling. He probably had a big meal before the game. He was like, you guys want me to pitch for DeGrom? What happened? Are we up 15? Like, why, <laughs> why am, am I, I coming, coming in? in for DeGrom? He'll yeah. be long relief today. But so he, that, that could have played into it. Definitely a little bit. I think yeah. so. Because it's weird. If DeGrom stepped out on the mound for the fourth and they, like, had him throw a warm-up pitch and exit with it, Sean Reed Foley would have had all the time in the world. Yeah. But because they pulled him. Mm-hmm. Sean Refoy had to go out there and do his minimum yeah. his pitches and he had to get going. So that was a weird decision, but you were gonna send him out there. You send him out there and he just stands there and he goes, ah, you know, I don't yeah. know. Yeah. yeah. Ah, it's a little tight. But 
you get semantics, minutia at this point. It doesn't matter because the Mets still got the job done. Mm-hmm. And Pilar, Superman, Batman, uh, Iron Man, I don't know what to call this dude, but he has been really, really good for the Mets. Really good. Again, we mentioned in the offseason, he was like been really sneaky, like a super good hitter over the last three or four years. He's just continuing to be like a good hitter. He had a couple low weeks out in San Diego. He wasn't really hitting the ball that well. And then this series just came right back. Yeah. He talked about in game two, I believe, he was not happy with his at-bats. And he said he was pull happy. He felt like he was overly aggressive, not swinging at the right pitches. Game three, he completely blew that out of the water because he probably had his best game as a Met all season, I would mm-hmm. say. Yeah. What, I a home run, home run and a double, I think yep. he had? Like That's... Three, three ribbies or two ribbies, something like that. Yeah. So Kevin Pillar. It's pretty cool that he can self-diagnose that. That like, is cool. That's a real ve- savvy veteran move. That's, that's impressive. Something you get from a guy who's been in the yeah. league for 10 years like Kevin Another Pillar. guy I'm going to lot again, as I just had to diatribe about him, is Luis Guillorme. Good he's, hitter. He's a savvy veteran while he's also still like has prospect status. It's kind of ironic what this guy is, but he's just a good hitter now. That was the guy we hyped up all offseason, was lo- Luis Guillorme. I love him. He's our king. Yes. We love Luis Guillorme on this podcast. And as a Mets fan, you should too. Because, like, especially if you're like one of those old school baseball fans, you gotta love Luis Guillorme. Mm-hmm. He doesn't wear bad gloves. The mm-hmm. dude has, you know, hands made of stone. Or not stone. He basically has like old man hands. He kind can of thing. he can change his hands. Yes. They're stone at the box, and then they're like little pillows in the field. Yes. He's just got like he's got rugged hands. You know, he's rugged. he's it's a man who works with his hands. Like he's yeah. a, he's a, he's the working man's player right there. Puts the ball in place, slaps it around the field wherever you pitch it, and he plays good defense. Like he would have been a star in the nineteen seventies. Oh my god, he would have been MVP. Yeah. Ozzy Smith. Ozzy Smith who? <laughs> Luis Guillorme, that's who. Guillorme this year has more walks than strikeouts. He's his WRC plus is one nineteen. I was going into tonight so we'll go down a little bit but he just does everything right yeah every single thing right i have a weird prediction that i think when everyone comes back and his team is very healthy going through july august september he is going to be the cream that rises to the top he's going to wind up getting the at-bats that we thought vr and jd davis were going to be getting preseason i just can't see a way to take him off the field no you can't you can't he plays himself into games like while he's not getting the extra base hits right now it's really not what we need him to do he has none on the year they'll come it'll happen he just, we don't care about that. He play good defense, put the ball in play, do the little things. And Luis Guillermo continues to do that. And he's, he's hitting the ball harder than he ever has in his whole career. And like, he had pretty good, like, scouting hit grades, like, coming through the minor leagues. Like, people thought this guy was a hitter. Like, he was doing that. But now, again, he's hitting the ball harder than he ever has. The extra base hits will come. I, I think, he, I really think that his ceiling is a regular. I really do. Okay. I like that. I mean, listen. Giorme, my boy, follows me on Twitter. Follow nice. the Messed Up Podcast, Luis, if you're listening. Cause I wish I, you'd follow me. His dad follows me. Luis Giorme Sr. See, I can't get the Luis Giorme Sr. follow. <laughs> I fo- His son follows me, who's the Major League Baseball player. The father has no interest in giraffe he neck follow- He followed me one time last year when I had like a big, long tweet about all Giorme's great things. He's sounds like, like I'm putting out a Luis su- Guillorme. supports my son. Yeah, sounds like I'm putting out a Giorme tweet tomorrow <laughs> and tagging his dad in it. Don't need Luis's attention. I need the dad's attention. But... The Mets continued to play pretty good baseball. Now, we were giving VR a lot of credit earlier in the episode. He did have a rough game defensively. Yes. Back-to-back errors. He does that. Pete should have dug that ball out. So, like, technically, even Gary was talking about it. Like, that's a tough error. But then the next one, he was completely in his head and took way too much time and then made a terrible throw. And Ian Happ, give him credit, busted out of the box. He's not Manny Machado. He's not going to walk out That happened tonight, too. Thursday night. 
on that Lindor play in the eighth inning. Yes, Lindor kind of sat back on Yeah, him. Lindor sat back and tried to rush the throw because Hap is busting it. Sneaky athlete, Ian Hap, and he, he botched it. But luckily for us, it didn't matter. Yeah. So that's that's a good thing. Pete should have made the play in the first place. It's still technically VR's error. Nitpicking at this point, though, because who are we to complain about Jonathan VR with all that he's done this season and yes. helping us when we need him? Absolutely. And uh, we got Loop in the game as well. Who Loop, there it is. He is. He's there good. It is. He's so good. Aaron Loop, I tweeted this on Wednesday night, has the sneakiest 1.93 ERA in the history of baseball. I was, we talked about this at the game, talking about Mets all-star pitchers. Now, Aaron Loop won't be one. He will not be an all-star, by no means, because he doesn't have the innings or the strikeouts or anything like that. But the Mets now have, like, a legitimate group of guys where if you were, you know, looking even in the 90s, you'd go, all-star, Tywan Walker, all-star, Marcus Stroman, Jacob deGrom, Aaron Loop, Edwin Diaz, because those are all guys whose ERAs are, like, in the twos, and Diaz has just been so nasty as a closer. Yeah. Like, it's so wild what's happened with this team. Dude, it's crazy. This back end of the bullpen is so strong. I've been telling you this off the air for weeks now, but I think the Mets have one of the best bullpens in the league. If it's not top three, it's top five. And if it's not top three or top five, it might be one or two. Well, the Mets officially have the best ERA in baseball as a, as a team. We're really? number one now. Nice. And that's a huge reason because of the bullpen. We have two starting pitchers with five ERAs. The bullpen has been locked down. We had a debate about Loop or Justin Wilson at one point. Yes. Loop was by far the better player. There were people on the internet telling us that the Mets offseason was a disaster for not re-signing Justin Wilson or throwing money at Brad Hand, who has saves and is still not good. Which, by the way, going to build into a little bit something that we wanted to talk about. Uh, we shouldn't take any opinions from who to get from Mets Twitter because no. we've been seeing some trade stuff thrown out there, which we'll have an episode next, our next episode. We're going to do a little bit of like trade deadline talk, um, have a little segment there. But people talking about trading for Adam Frazier. What were some of the other guys that you saw? Adam Frazier, Robbie Grossman, Josh Donaldson. Josh Donaldson's crazy. It's not even close. Who, why, in what world do the Mets need these guys? They don't. No world. Adam Frazier, we have Luis Guillermo, who's just better, honestly. Uh, Truly, yeah. Adam Frazier, he has a bow rate of under 1%. So again, for all the listeners at home who don't know, we've mentioned this a couple of times. So again, if anyone doesn't know any of the stats or acronyms that we mentioned, Please tweet at us. We'd love to explain. Barrel is a ball that is put in play of at least 98 miles an hour with a launch angle between 26 and 30 degrees. And for those of you at home, that is like basically the optimal launch angle for like a home run type hit. Think you of it be as there. crushing the ball. That When you have a barrel, you have crushed it. So the guys who have the high barrel rates are the guys who are the best hitters. You look up and down that chart. The leaders are Vlad, Tatis, Otani. Otani. Like these are the beasts. These are the guys you want to hit. These are the guys with power. These are the guys who get consistent hits time and time again. And remember when we were talking about James McCann's lack of barrels, the guy Adam Frazier that a lot of Mets fans for some reason want us to trade for, which makes absolutely zero sense. None has two barrels on the season. Yes, he's hitting 320. Yes, he has an 844 OPS. But it's the fakest 320 with an 844 OPS ever. He simply just doesn't hit the ball hard. He doesn't swing and miss. That's like his big thing. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, great. He's, he's a scrappy little player. He's a poor man's Jeff McNeil in a sense. But there's no reason for the Mets to trade for him. He's turning 30. Like, there's no reason the Mets... Sh- Sorry, we're just moving into our bad take of the week right now. Yeah, because, I mean, game three is over. Yeah. The, the May came in, was fixed. Diaz Great. was sick again. Castro, good. Everyone's good. Bullpen's good now. So now, just trade Twitter is one of the dumbest places you could ever be. It's up there with hockey replay Twitter <laughs> and soccer flopping Twitter. It's a place you just never want to find yourself, ever. Yeah, like, I, we've been seeing names thrown out, as we mentioned. Like, let's just go through. Adam Frazier, we just went over him fully. There's no reason. He's turning 30. He doesn't hit the ball hard. He's an average defender, and he's going to cost money? No. 
Absolutely not. We're going to have to give up players for that. Why would and we do that? And he's going to be arbitration eligible, coming off like a very good fake statistical season. I don't want to be on the books for that. No, he's going to be the Pirates All-Star most likely. Uh, good for him. Happy for him. Go play in Pittsburgh. Great. You'll be on another team that wants you. But the Mets makes no sense. Josh Donaldson. Do we, where do we even get started with that one? That, Josh that, Donaldson's that own. One, that one comes from Evan Roberts. I will shout him out by name because he gives some pretty bad takes. He is listenable on the radio. Him and Carton are exciting. They're they're interesting-ish. They don't talk about sports. They don't know anything about sports. Their insight's terrible. Awful. Anyone who thinks that the Mets should trade for Josh Donaldson, anyone who thinks the Mets should even trade for a depth infielder has, doesn't have any idea how this roster is constructed. Like, you must have been so short-sighted to forget about Robinson Cano that we traded for. Like, that's almost in the same category as when you're talking about Josh Donaldson, a guy who's in his mid-30s, who's getting paid way too much money, and who misses games due to injury every single season. A good chunk of games. Like, yes, he's a good player. There's no doubt. He's still got something in the tank. Oh, yeah. But unless the Twins are giving to him to us for free, yes. no players involved, you're going to pay his entire contract, I'm out. There's no reason for it. And the other irony of these two infield trade targets is that neither of them can play shortstop. If there's one hole this Mets team has, it's a like legitimate, defensively sound backup shortstop. I'm sure Guillaume can do it. But I think at this point, his athleticism more favors second and third. He can be probably slightly below league average shortstop. I'm sure of it. Yeah. But that is the one actual infield hole this Mets team has. And the fact that people want the Mets to, to give up assets for infielders who can't even do that. Like, there's VR. There's Guillaume. JD. McNeil. Like, there's guys who can Peraza. Peraza is doing an admirable job. I don't want Peraza starting in the NLDS. No, but I would I would be okay if he was on the roster. Yeah, I'm. We're under the impression that our guys are going to be healthy during this time. So like to freak out to grab Adam Frazier doesn't play on this team by the way when guys are healthy. Adam Frazier might not even be in this major league roster when the guys are healthy. If every single guy in the Mets active roster is healthy, I would option Adam Frazier to AAA. I would. It's yeah, it's crazy. And then like Robbie Grossman, which yeah, because the Mets need another corner outfielder. Yeah, exactly. Another corner outfielder without power. It's exactly what the Mets need. Billy Bring McKinney. We got Billy McKinney. What do we need Robbie Grossman? Robbie for? Grossman's a poor man's Brandon Nimmo. <laughs> yes, literally. He walks 100%. a ton. Doesn't hit for much power. That's about not a great defender either. Like the names that we're seeing on Mets Twitter, we're gonna give you some good ones. Next episode, we're gonna give you some fire trade talk names. Big time trade talk. Because Monday. this is the stuff. I, this I, these are some of my best YouTube videos talking about trade talks. James knows all the guys that are the sneaky pickups. We're going to give you some good names. Adam Frazier, Robbie Grossman, and Josh Donaldson will be thousands of miles away from that list. It's not it, fam. It's so not it. It's so bad. Mets Twitter, we love you, but... Oh, sometimes you are some, so off. Some real bad takes. I'm happy we started this segment. It's kind of fun. No, it is fun. Like, yeah. it gets a little, it's like a venting. It's kind of like a like, venting. Because, like, we send these tweets to each other from people that we see all week long. Yeah. And we get to finally, like, say it out loud. And it's like, oh, God, like, you agree with me. This this is dumb. This Definitely. doesn't make any sense. And we're, we don't want to chop anybody down who, like, you know, has was also working, grinding just like us. Yeah, like, of course. Want everyone to make a name for themselves. But a guy like Evan Roberts, I will shit on him because he is a hundred thousand air. He has a platform. Yeah. We have a thousand listens. He yes. has hundreds of thousands of listens. He's on the radio every single day. Yeah. He gets paid a lot of money Tons. to talk. And that being said, WFAN, we'd love to come on. Yeah, love to, love yeah. to come on. Yeah, Evan Roberts and Carton will argue all day that the Mets should not trade for Josh Donaldson <laughs> if you want to have that conversation. We'll hold on. Josh Donaldson would bring such an element to this team that they don't have. Yeah, third baseman who can't move. We have yeah, two of them. That we would probably trade prospects for, which we shouldn't do. Let's no. got some good prospects. Let's talk about them because this is the midweek episode. Yep. Prospect review. Prospect report. Every single midweek we're coming at you talking about some prospects. And this week we are going to kind of massage that prospect report a little bit into the upper level of the minors guys especially the pitchers because with Jacob DeGrom going down and with three double headers coming up in the next seven days crazy 
I can't believe the MLB did that. I was going to talk about the, with the Nationals preview. Why did we have to have all these in one week? We're playing this team so many more times. As if we haven't played the Nationals in Ju- July, August, September, that we never play them. Phillies, we never play these it's teams again. It's not like a game was rained out against like the A's. No. Or, or like the, the Twins. Ro- the Rockies. That like we have to make it up while they're in town. We're going to play these teams a lot more the rest of the year. For them to schedule all three of these doubleheaders in a seven-day span is really fucked up. It's egregious. It's an act of violence by Major League Baseball, and I will not stand for it. Scheduling's been horrible all season. The fact that the Mets played a night game tonight. The Mets are going to Washington. The Cubs are going back home to Chicago. Two teams traveling. And they said 7 o'clock started on Thursday night. That makes sense. It's so stupid. So stupid. But now, back to the prospect report. Get it all out. It was like 10 minutes of, a whole 10 minutes of venting. It was good. Yeah. We needed it. Good. We've yeah. been so happy. Yeah, we usually are. But the three guys I'm going to touch on are three of the starting pitchers at Syracuse. Thomas Ibuki. Tyler McGill, and Jared Eikhoff. His name's like spelled like Gerard, but again. <laughs> to start with Sapuki, he's the guy who I've been talking about all year to look for, watch out for in the majors. He has gone down his last two starts. Two worst starts this season, which is like really sucks because we'd really like to have him for this next week. We still might see him even amidst his struggles because yeah. we just literally need him. I thought it was interesting that he pitched on Wednesday because that basically takes him out of play for the doubleheader. I don't know who was planning these things. Maybe they're just planning to have him for the Monday doubleheader because that's when the Wednesday start lines up. I think more so with Zapuki, they're more, I think, worried about keeping him on his same schedule and getting him into a rhythm because it seemed like ever since the Mets took him out of that rhythm, when they called him up yeah. and didn't use him, he hasn't been nearly as effective. No. And these last two starts, he has eight walks and seven two-thirds innings. He's given up nine earned runs. Bad. Not been very effective. On the other hand... This is the guy we want. Our boy Tyler McGill. Shout out Joe DeMeo. That's his boy on... What's the name of the show? Mets Retrospective, I think. Mets Prospectus? We gotta look it up. We gotta give him a right shout out. God damn it. Mets Perspective. That's the name. Mets Perspective. So I had it right. Okay, thank you. That's his boy. He was on their web, uh, SNY, is it called web show? It's, they're on their show. They have a real television show, I think. I think so too, yeah. Yeah, very impressive. Love Joe. Really nice guy. Don't know Jacob. I'm sure he's a very nice guy too. But McGill's been grooving. His last start came last Friday. He had seven strikeouts, only gave up two hits, one earned run, home run, two walks, and five and a third innings. After his first rocky start that I talked about last week in AAA, it seems like he acclimated very quickly. It seems like since he hasn't pitched since last Friday, maybe he's the guy who gets the call this Saturday to give some innings during the doubleheader along with Reed Foley and Peterson. Something to watch. They would just have to clear a 40 spot. That's the thing. Yeah, they would. But it's kind of cool that for a doubleheader, you get a 27th man. So it kind of acts like a free tryout for the kid. True. I say the kid, you're the same age. I think he might be a year old. (laughs) Yeah, maybe. Who knows? Whatever. But won't take an option. Won't send anybody down. Again, you got a clear spot on the 40 man, but... I, so we're going to have to be cutting people this week, which yeah. is to talk about the Nationals preview, whatever. The other guy who I want to mention, who I shouldn't even mention, he stinks, Jared Eikhoff. I thought coming into this offseason that we'd be able to sprinkle the Hefner Fairy dust on him and you'd be able to get something there. He's a guy who was on my fantasy baseball watch list in deeper leagues. I thought he'd be able to give some innings. He's had some good strikeout totals in his career, but man, he's been stinking. Yeah, no, he's not been good. No, 12 earned runs in his last two starts, spanning 11 innings. Like He even just out of necessity could be a doubleheader guy this weekend or next week because we have three of them again. And the thing with Eikhoff, too, is like you add him to the 40 you DF, and you like take him off it. The Mets are completely cool, I think, losing Eikhoff in a yeah. DFA and just getting those innings out of him if they need to. So Literally, literally four innings one time. Not the cool option not the sexy option by no. any means but it might be the most reasonable one because if you're moving guys and dfaing people he's really uh what's the word expendable very expendable good word and then just as we do our uh, the process report i want to dive into the lower levels of minors a little bit a guy we have not mentioned very much doing this is mark vientos someone who's had critical acclaim in the past but 
someone who I don't really see like a superstar or even like a like a major league regular ceiling out of him. The power started to come alive. The power that we all know that Vientos has. The power that is going to be the calling card that gets him to the majors one day. Again, that's starting to happen. Three home runs in his last six games, but his Achilles heel, man, the strikeouts. He just can't stop striking out. And you're striking out at a low level. Yeah. That's cause for concern because at the major league level, as we know, the stuff's only getting better. Much better. It's not going to get any easier. No. He's actually decreased his strikeout rate since June 1st with only a 29.2% K rate. still so high. Really bad. Just I just can't see how some successful like that. But to be happy about some of our guys, though, Alvarez continues to be sick. Yes. Beatty continues to be sick. Yes. Mauricio. I mean, the three-headed monster down there in Brooklyn, which we saw... It continues to be great. Great. Alvarez had has had a little bit of a rocky time coming to the Cyclones up from St. Lucie. His average is not where he's used to having it. He's used to hitting 400. He's hitting about 250, 260 right now. But he's still hitting the ball very hard. Uh, stat came through today for sports, info, stats, and solutions. Like a lot, a lot of stats. If you're into stats, they're a great account to follow. Very smart stuff over there. But they keep a lot of like the stat cast type stats on the minor leagues. They're not publicly available. And they dropped top five hard hit rates in the minor leagues today. And Alvarez was second, and Beatty was third. Which we love to see. Elite. And I think that that bat flip that went viral last weekend from Alvarez is kind of a function of his like relative struggle so far in Brooklyn. Like, like a little bit of the, ah. Yeah, he let the demons out. Let that thing up in the air. And also a fact that they play six-game series down in high A. Yeah, that's These guys don't up. like each other. No. And as we saw when we saw them play the Hudson Valley Renegades... They almost fought. Yeah. So they played Hudson Rally Betting Games, I think, 12 times this month. That's too many. A lot of animosity, I'm sure, between athletes, competitors, guys who are vying for spots against their uh, against their opponents, and even their own teammates. So that bat flip, I hated that people were kind of getting on him. I understand that, like, the old men are like, as 19 year old kids got to throw a bat up in the air. Let him throw the bat up in the air. He's a young kid trying to make it. He finally got a big hit in single A. The hard hit rates, what you want to see from the minor leagues. Mauricio has seventh home run of the season the other night. That's more than he's ever had in a full season before. It was 107.5 miles an hour off the bat. Crushed. That's mwah. Crushed for a, a guy who's had issues with power. And for a 20-year-old who hasn't even fully filled out yet, that's absolutely insane. Yeah, no, the minor leagues, as we've said every episode, those that three-headed monster, those beasts there at the top of our organization are going to be leading us. That's the next group of guys that's going to be coming up with each other. And it's super exciting for the future. Not going to see them this year, but they are coming and they're coming hot. Storming up, storming up. Which now let's talk about the national series real quick. Mm-hmm. We got lucky. We're missing Max Scherzer. IL, which stinks because Max Scherzer is one of the best pitchers in baseball. Like as a baseball fan, you respect his game. You don't want to see yeah. him hurt. But as a Mets fan, you go, oh thank God, because this national team outside of Max Scherzer is yeah, and they're missing Degrom and they're missing Stroman. So I don't feel very bad about us missing. That's true. Max Scherzer. It's whatever. Even Stephen, baby. But we got Lucchese tonight. If you're listening on Friday against Joe Ross, who. It's not that good. He's been better this year. He's pitched well against the Mets too, I think. So yeah. Joe Ross was a guy who had some like people's interest in earlier years in his career, but because of injuries and just lack of consistent pitching time, he's kind of fallen into like that just kind of typical four or five starter that's okay. Yeah. Which is fine. That's okay. You need guys who are okay. Yeah. And he's okay. Yeah. He's I'd love to have Joe Ross in the Mets right now. That'd be freaking awesome. He'd be giving us some innings for sure. <laughs> yeah. And then Saturday is going to be a funky adventure for the Mets and the Nationals and the fans of both teams alike. We got David Peterson starting the one game. And as we mentioned during the prospect report, we have no idea who's starting on Saturday. I don't even think the Mets know who's starting on Saturday, if I'm being honest. It might be Sean Reed Foley. But again, he threw like, what, 40 pitches? Yeah, he threw, he threw two innings. So Unexpectedly. So he could give some innings. That'll be... It'll be rested enough, but I don't know what's going to happen that game. I have no idea. Yeah, no one has a clue, and we don't even have a clue what's going to happen on Sunday. No, no clue. I mean, no, Sunday is Taiwan. Is it Taiwan? It's supposed to be. He pitched on Tuesday. 
Oh, yeah, it is Taiwan. We were there. What am I doing? These days of the week are all screwed up. It's the summer now. Yeah. And we're going to be facing against Corbin. Last time the Mets faced Corbin on a Sunday, we beat him. We own Corbin. We do. Everyone seems to now. It would be nice to have JD back because he really owns yeah, Patrick Corbin. But, of course, we don't have him. Again, the Nationals don't have a starter name for the second game of the doubleheader on Saturday either. That's going to be a weird one. That's going to be wild. Yeah. Seven ha- innings. Have a beer. Just enjoy Enjoy whatever happens in that game. It's going to be like, it's either going to be one nothing or like 11-6. Yeah. It's going to be weird. We're, we're in for a weird weekend of baseball here. In for a weird next couple weeks of baseball just because of the sheer amount of games the Mets played. The Mets have one off day, I think, before the All-Star break now, right? They do. Next Thursday. And then it's just all baseball. So from here on out, the Mets are playing a game every single day. Next seven days, the Mets have three doubleheaders and one off day. Yeah, thanks, Major League Baseball. Appreciate that schedule. Thanks a lot. Way to go, guys. But Mets are a better team than the Nationals. Juan Soto hasn't been Juan Soto-like this year. He's been, I don't even want to say struggling, because he's still good. He's just not really, like, hitting for the power that you expected or you saw the last couple seasons for him. Uh, He's going through his little thing. Trey Turner's hit a little bit of a rough patch, too. But then Kyle Schwarber started to heat up a little bit. He's been going off with the home runs. Josh Bell still stinks, but has been better than like complete garbage. So that's something to keep an eye out for too. They're just not a better team than the Mets. I just don't think they're really that good at all. Like I, I don't even have a national watch. They're just not very good. They don't have anybody interesting from the pitching side no. outside of Max Scherzer and Kate Cavalli. Yeah, but he's, he's yeah. long down there guy. We could talk about Kate Cavalli for hours. That's not an, <laughs> we're not a nationals podcast though. No. And I'm sure the nationals guys love Kate Cavalli as well. Cause yeah, he's, if he's, if he was my only prospect, I'd love him too. Yeah. Yeah. He's great. <laughs> But Mets should should take this series. It's going to be interesting Saturday, as we've said. But really, at the end of the day, the Mets are the better team. Fully expect to win this series. No doubt. Need the bats. Need the defense. Need Lucchese and Peterson to step up. And whoever pitches on Saturday night. All hands on deck. Next man up. Resilient team. Yeah, cliche. This is the cliche hour. Yeah, we're going to drop all the cliches here because the Mets are going to need them this weekend. Yeah. And as we wrap up here, because, you know, Mets three out of four from the Cubs, feeling good, still in first place, sitting there with a very comfortable lead. I just want to drop a little something here for you guys. We have made some Mets up stickers. So keep an eye out for them. Uh, They may or may not be placed in areas that you might be able to find. There could be a couple in our favorite stadium in New York. So if you see them anywhere, maybe on a subway, on the back of a sign, at a, at a baseball game, take a picture of it, tweet us at it, or tweet at us with it, we'll retweet you. We'll drop you a like. We'll give you a comment. We'll give you the clout. So keep an eye out for the messed up stickers. You're going to start to see them popping up all over New York. That's pretty much going to take us to the end of episode number 24 here of the Messed Up Podcast, a long one. But boy, do we have a lot to talk about here. Four games, prospect report, bad takes got us going. Next episode, we're going to be going over, of course, the National Series, plus a little trade deadline preview. So make sure you guys are following the podcast on Twitter and Instagram, Mets Up, so you know when the episodes come out, as well as following us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to your stuff, you can find us, as well as YouTube. Subscribe to the channel. We're uploading the videos over there. Give us some love, too, if you want to see a video version of what we're talking about here. Otherwise, we are going to wrap up today's episode here. I'm Draftneck Mark, Mark Luino, here with James Shiano. Jeter had no range. Thank you guys for listening to episode number 24 of the Messed Up Podcast, and we'll see you next time. Voice crack. Bye. Thanks for listening.